Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And this week, we are joined by Jackie Hansen. She's the owner of Central Park Pet Retreat in Salt Lake City, as well as Ashley and Ryan Wolfholt, Wolfheit, I'm sorry, I just did it wrong. They're founders <laughs> of Bark and Biscuit. It's a dog training business in Salt Lake. And this week, we are going to talk about uh, COVID and its impact on people's families as so many people have chosen to make uh, themselves pet owners and added, uh, you know, dogs and cats and uh, as it turns out, I guess ferrets to their uh, to their uh, to their households. So first, I want to start off by asking uh, Jackie, can you talk a little bit about how you got into the uh, pet daycare and retreat business? By the way, I want to go to a retreat of any kind. That would be that sounds fun. Uh, we um, we owned the building for several years and leased the property. Speak up just a little bit. Okay, we owned the building for several years and actually leased the, the building to National Veterinary Association. They were a Central Valley vet hospital and um, they had six vets at one time and then they closed. They didn't need all of that space. So I was stuck with a dark building and um, property taxes were coming up so we had to reinvent the space and turned it into a, a, a doggy daycare and a, and um, boarding facility. So in that way, I mean, it, you just it had just been your first foray into you know doing this. What what kind of made you decide I'm going to do a, a dog retreat? You know, I have a friend in Heber City, um, Tony Coombs. She owns Coombs Kennels, and she has been a dear friend and she came down and looked at the space and there was a huge secretary pool receptionist area and she says this is where your indoor play yard is going to be and I um, I just kind of followed her lead and we walked around and turned the parking lot into a, a play yard and went from there she was really my mentor I would never have even considered it if it hadn't been for, for her helping me. Because you'd never been an entrepreneur before. This was your first business venture, right? Yes, this was my first business venture. I, I thought I, I've thought many times maybe we should have put in um, storage, storage garages. 
<laughs> just let, let, let people store their stuff there? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in a doggy daycare and boarding facility. And, yeah, but, um, you, but, and you've been in business for how long? Uh, eight years. Well, so it's been pretty successful, and that's pretty good. Yeah, it has been successful. It's been a good thing. It's been a fun thing. Um, the clients have been fun to work with, and the the animals are great, and I've learned a lot. But yeah, it was natural. It was really a natural. Once I got into it, it was a natural thing. It felt it felt comfortable. And had you been a dog owner before? A, oh yeah. We've we've got we've had always had dogs and cats and and animals of every kind. Excellent, so, excellent. so Ashley and Ryan, I was going to ask you kind of the same thing. How did, how did you guys come to decide this is this is what we wanted to do? Well, we actually didn't start the business together. Um, I started it myself. Uh, I had a dog who was the kind of dog you hear about in the news. Um, he was extremely aggressive towards uh, elderly people and um, young boys. And because of that, I spent a lot of time learning how to work with him um, and started to realize that I had a natural knack for dog training. Um, and then, so I started the business and I think about four years in, um, I hired Ryan and we ended up falling in love and getting married, and now it's a family-run business. So yeah, that yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. So, so Ryan, what uh, did you? Did, had you ever been an entrepreneur before? Had either of you uh, been business owners before? Um, I, you know, just the uh, when I was a kid, I always would take around a wagon with ice cream and sell it to other kids, and I've always kind of had. Uh, little businesses going. Um, I come from, my dad's an entrepreneur as well. He owns his own business. Um, but this is the actual, the only actual legit <laughs> business I've ever had. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've never owned a business before this. Um, this is my, fir- my parents also owned a business when I was a kid as well, though they were entrepreneurs. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Amy, you said you had a question? Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering how COVID impacted both businesses independently. Maybe Jackie first. Tell us, how did the COVID shutdowns impact you and, and how have you, um, I guess, adapted? Um, it was tough. I, I didn't realize what was happening. All of a sudden, business started to to go down. And then it was obvious that it was it was the COVID and people weren't traveling. And then as soon as the governor came out with um, the mandate that businesses needed to be closed and people shouldn't travel, I think it was the fear. Um, no one no one wanted to go anywhere. No one wanted to come out of their homes. And, and it wasn't until... And, and so the business we had at first was business from the essential workers. Mm-hmm. The the nurses and the people in the police department and it's those people that absolutely had to go to work, and then eventually people that that worked from home got sick of working from home with their animals, so that helped pick up business. But during those that first month, we were we were just I had two employees there. Um, 
is all. We never closed. We stayed open. But the I think the slowest day was we had two cats and wow. two employees. And used to having dozens of uh, animals, I'm imagining. Oh, dozens. Were you, were you worried that your business wasn't going to survive if everybody was going to stay home? You know, I was pretty naive. I, I was an optimist until we had... <laughs> I had borrowed three months worth of the payroll. Uh, well, actually three payrolls. I borrowed money to make payroll. I was not going to close because I, I knew how hard it was to build back after closing. And I knew there were other doggy daycares that weren't closing and, and you just don't, you don't come back after closing your doors. So I, I was insistent we stay open. And then, um, after borrowing money for three payrolls, the PPP money came in and saved us. I think I would have probably had to close if that hadn't happened. So Ashley and Ryan, what 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 was the situation with you guys? Because had you how long had your business been uh, been around? Uh, we well, we've been open about the same amount of time as Jackie. We've been in business for eight years, um, and same at the initial outbreak. Um, There's a lot of fear. Um, most training appointments were canceled because we do all of our uh, training in home and one-on-one. Um, one of the most important things with training is getting the owner on board. And so we really saw a drop there. Um, of course, we do boarding and daycare as well, and those dropped, especially with people staying home. We have a lot of um, airline uh, clientele, oh, yeah. pilots, flight attendants. And so, of course, they had to drop off. They were afraid they weren't even going to be able to keep their houses. Um, and, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. well, and we also, that was really hard at first, but we also, you know, have training. And as people were adopting those dogs from the shelters because they were home more, um, training all of a sudden started to blow up and we were doing online appointments we were doing zoom appointments and uh things like that to maintain social distancing and um it was really hard the first month of covid but then as people were adopting all the dogs from the shelters they kind of realized they were a little in over their heads with some of these dogs (laughs) so we we actually picked up pretty most trainers we know as well had a pretty busy year last year but it was really tricky to work around covid yeah we really had to adapt um and set up online protocols for a lot of our programs um which has actually worked out really well we were afraid of that at first um because we were thinking you it had to be face to face but it's actually we've set up videos and things like that to help support the appointments and it's really worked out well for us when we come back i want to continue that discussion and i'd love to be able to discuss the issues new dog owners who you know think it's a great idea to bring a dog home but they didn't realize it may be more than they expected we're talking today with jackie hansen owner of central park pet retreat in salt lake as well as Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit, they are founders of uh, Bark and Biscuit. It's a dog training business and also a daycare facility uh, as well in Salt Lake. Right now, you're listening to Voices of Reason. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. 
it was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Amy Donaldson and Jason Lee, speaking today with Jackie Hansen, owner of Central Park Pet Retreat in Salt Lake City, and Ryan and Ashley Wolfheit. They are founders of Bark and Biscuit, which is a dog training and also a doggy daycare facility. You guys were talking. I want to start with uh, Ashley and Ryan. You know, the... When, when everybody starts uh, in COVID, uh, they start getting dogs, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Amy, you, you kind of thought that there are some things that we should probably know about that? Well, I, yeah, I just wondered what they were saying, because I, I think it's important to understand that COVID actually changed the entire rescue system. Um, their shelters and rescues always work together, um, and they also have breeders or, and pet stores, which are a different universe. But I think you have already had shelters and rescues trying to work together to save all the dogs in that we can um, and find them homes, permanent homes. But um, shelters had to close down. Some of those are county uh, run facilities and uh, some of them never have reopened to uh, in, in the way that they functioned before. They, some of them do now accept appointments, but a lot of them had to get their animals to rescues so that they could find homes. And then rescues like the one I'm involved with um, we relied on events on Saturdays, uh, almost every Saturday there was an event somewhere. We teamed up with stores like PetSmart or Petco, and those were gone. We couldn't do those. So everybody kind of had to rethink, how are we going to get um, these dogs adopted into permanent homes when we're not allowed to... We had even fosters who were like, I'm not going to meet with strangers because we're afraid of COVID. So there was definitely some you know, creative thinking, some... Uh, people were afraid. People were, um, you know, wondering how this was going to work. And I don't think anybody anticipated how long it was going to last or that almost all businesses would go work from home so that people would get lonely and decide that they needed a canine or a, a kitty companion. Um, so I guess the thing that I wondered is, like, what happens when you go, you have a whole bunch of people adopting pets, maybe for the first time in their adult life. Um, what kind of problems are you seeing people bring to you some of the ones I see are like socialization issues or just where can I find a puppy class or a, a, a first, you know, level one obedience class. What are some of the things you're seeing? Um, yeah, for sure. Socialization is probably the biggest thing we saw an issue with. Um, dogs that weren't interacting with other dogs or other people have been coming to us with a lot of issues. Um, that lack of socialization has been pretty dramatic. Um, that's That's one thing. The other thing, the dogs are home alone with the, when the owners are working from home, they're very used to being with them all day. And even dogs that were with people for years, they're starting to see behavioral issues that they didn't see before just because there's a big change for them with that owner being there all the time. And you're starting to see a little bit of separation issue with that as well. But the big thing is, I would say that biggest thing really is that lack of socialization for us 
And for our clients, it's been uh, these dogs don't know how to properly interact with other dogs. They're very scared of other dogs. They're, you know, really scared of people because that's just kind of the world they've been brought into right now. Yeah, that's the really unfortunate thing about a lot of these younger dogs that we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of aggression and reactivity issues um, because they just don't know how to interact around people and other dogs. Um, and we specialize in a lot of that socialization. Um, so it's it's we're helping, but there's a crucial time period for a lot of those dogs, or for all dogs, um, when they're developing. And unfortunately, a lot of that has been missed. Is it, so when you say there's uh, these crucial developments, what do you mean? What, what what are we talking about? For puppies between the ages of eight weeks, or six weeks actually, and 16 weeks, um, the social connections in the brain are being created. And so if they aren't introduced to a lot of new things, that's not just other dogs, uh, it's uh, people, sounds, everything. Um, if they're not introduced and exposed to those things, they will develop fear problems often. Um, also, uh, throughout the puppy's growth, they have fear cycles, fear periods. And if they aren't helped through those in the correct way, it can cause issues as well. So, Jackie, I'm wondering, uh, since your business is primarily uh, is daycare and, and you know, providing uh, socialization, how has that impacted how people, when, what, when the dogs come to you, how does that in, impact how they behave with other dogs? Um, I agree with Ashley. We have seen a lot of socialization problems, and I didn't really understand where they were coming from. Um, but she shed a light on that, that these dogs were in shelters and not being adopted, and we've seen a a lot, you know, and, and missed that socialization between six and 16 weeks. So we've seen a lot of non-social dogs come to our kennel. And that is one thing that separates us from a lot of other daycare and boarding facilities. So, so we'll take non-social dogs and we give them individual play or we give them private play. And we work really hard to find them a, a play group that, that they'll fit into. And that's been difficult in the last year. Is it been difficult because you have more of those dogs and or? Yeah, I think looking okay. back, we've got a lot more. We have more non-social dogs than we have had in the past. Tell um, me when somebody has a dog that is that they think is non-social or hasn't been socialized well, or maybe it's reactive. Tell me, what do you think kind of what number one and number two, Jackie, you first things people should do and should not do. And then I'd love to hear from Ashley as well, and Ryan as well. Well, first of all, people don't ever think their dogs are non-social. It's like a kid going <laughs> to kindergarten. My child would never misbehave. And um, we do an evaluation when they first come in to make sure to just see how they react with other dogs. And Oh, where was my question? <laughs> well, no, the idea is that uh, when, you, when you do that, when you see that, and like you said, people don't think their dogs have any problems, how do you convince them that, well, uh, there, there are some issues here that need to be addressed? Um, individually, we just we speak to them and, and just tell them that they're, we're going to put them in. We don't call them non-social. 
we tell them we're going to put in, put them into a select selective play group. They won't go out with the general dogs. Most of our dogs just go out and play and every they all get along. But there are certain dogs that need to be put into a selective play group or maybe can just play alone. And so we explain that to them that they get one on one time with with an employee, but they spend more time in their kennels than a dog that is properly socialized. But so what do people what I wanted to know was maybe one or two things that people could do to help their dogs if they if they do recognize that their dog is not social. So absolutely, absolutely start it. Start when they're young to to give them all of the experiences they can possibly have with new people and new sounds and and other pets and cats and big dogs and little dogs just so that they develop a security. These 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 dogs come with a lot of fear that have been isolated maybe with just their owner and no one else. So my suggesting my suggestion would be get them out. Get them out in par- in parks where there are children and other animals, and just expose them to as much as you possibly can while they while they're young. When we come Give back, those I'll animals have, some confidence. When we come back, I'll have uh, Ashley and uh, Ryan weigh in on this too, because you know one of the things I recognize is, uh, and I've volunteered at animal shelters uh, locally for many years, and I enjoyed it a great deal. However, when you when when the dogs that came in, uh, when you you saw some of the issues they were having. I think it, it's overwhelming to people sometimes to try to figure out how they can help when they think it's the dog that's a problem and they don't realize sometimes they've contributed to it pretty greatly. Uh, we're speaking today with uh, Jackie Hansen, owner of Central Park Pet Retreat in Salt Lake, and Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit. They are founders of uh, Bark and Biscuit. It's a dog training business in Salt Lake. When we come back, we'll hear more about how to help your dog that you might have uh, decided to uh, make a, a family pet during this COVID pandemic. You're listening to Voices of Reason. the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Speaking today with Jackie Hansen, owner of uh, Central Park Pet Retreat in Salt Lake, and Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit. They are founders of uh, Bark and Biscuit. It's a dog training business and uh, also uh, doggy daycare in uh, Salt Lake. So, uh, Ashley, Ryan, I wanted to get a sense from you. You know, I think sometimes people think that the dogs are the problem. when And, and that, that is true to some degree, right? But I wonder how much of it is the, the, the owner sometimes that creates the behavior that they find later on to be undesirable. Yeah. Um, it, it oftentimes, you know, is a combination of issues the dog can have on their own, but definitely contributed by owners as well. Just a lack of information or a lack of knowledge on their part. Um, and to touch on what Jackie said, it is, you know, it is really important to, she's right to start that socialization process young. And since they're not able to start right now, um, there are a lot of different things that we can do to help them work through that at this stage. But um, owner contribution to behavioral issues is a pretty big issue with things like anthropomorph- sorry, anthropomorphizing dogs, you know, treating them more like people than dogs, which is a, you know, an entirely different discussion altogether. But um, I'm willing to and- have that discussion because I've watched people <laughs> dress their dogs up, put shoes on them, glasses. Right. I saw a guy riding his dog with a motorcycle with a helmet and glasses on, 
which by the way very cute but the nuttiest thing i've ever seen <laughs> well and that's I'm not, perfectly I... normal that is not nutty. <laughs> clothes are good right we're not necessarily against you know we have two chihuahuas they wear sweaters because it's cold and in it's it's I not have way too many dresses for my chihuahuas. Yeah, we we do. You know, it's more so attaching human emotions to the dog's behaviors. So saying my dog is really mad at me. My dog is really sad right now. Um, or, you know, treating them like a person when those emotional connections in dogs are, are much different than than what people think they are. And I think people do play into that. And dogs are very empathetic creatures. And when we feel something, when we feel stressed, anxious, upset, um, they definitely reflect that. And so a lot of times our own mental state can actually affect a dog's behavior as well. So, Ashley, when uh, you mentioned that you have dog clothes, right? And I, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway here because. Chihuahuas are they're rat dogs and they're actually I mean, yeah. I mean, no 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 I don't mean that I mean like they, they no they, I agree they, they dig it home they feed up the rats so that's kind of what they were bred for but they're, and they're also warm weather dogs they right. don't have big thick coats like a husky or a German shepherd all right I get that but how much does that it doesn't necessarily help the psyche of the dog to have those kinds of human characteristics portray I mean uh, what do you call it projected on them does it. No. Uh, Well, so I think the important, it's a very fine line, a very gray area. I think with the dressing my chihuahuas up, um, I don't, so when I say that, I don't have sun hats and things like that, that they have to wear all the time. Mostly it's just to help keep them warm in the winter. Oops, sorry, our baby's crying. Um, And give them a little extra pizzazz on my, for my selfishness. But approach it how i approach it is is one thing uh, is a thing a different thing altogether so when i'm putting the clothes on them i'm not treating them like a baby it's it's a dog with a dress on uh instead of oh my sweet little baby now here you're going to sit up on your table and here i'm going to hand feed you food it's a relationship thing they still need to um follow the pack structure and still listen to me as their leader um, and when I say leader, I don't mean so much as alpha, you will listen to me. It's a parent-child kind of like relationship. And again, that gets a little tricky because using those words, parent-child, again, kind of muddles um, the description I was just giving on how to treat your dogs. Um, you want to have a pack structure in place with your dogs and treat them as dogs, not as kids. And for the dogs they are, which is only fair to their to the dog, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have like a couple of like first time dog owner advice tips you give people. Like, what if you had to say what are the a couple of the most important things people should do or not do? What what would you say that would be? Crate. Crating okay. is one of the biggest things you can do for your dog, and one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make is they only crate when they leave the house or at night. It's very important to give your dog a break during the day, especially if you live in a house with children. Um, Dogs become very overstimulated. So we need to give them intermittent crating throughout the day to give them breaks. Do you want to? How does that work? I mean, uh, because I I always thought it's like putting them in a little prison. So with crates, it's uh, 
I, I think a lot of people do kind of feel that way. That that's that anthropomorphizing. Yeah, and, and that's, again, the anthropomorphization yeah. of dogs is, well, I don't want to put them in, in a cage. But really what the way we treat a crate, especially in training, and every dog that we train has to be crated. It's something that we require all of the dogs to do um, because the crate is more of a den space for dogs, yeah. and dogs are den animals, and they do crave that, that kind of closed off space. So if a dog is, you know, if you have a really fearful dog and everyone's met a dog like this, um, they hear fireworks or lightning or a door slam. The first thing they typically do is hide under a table, hide under your legs, hide under a blanket, hide in a corner. They're always looking for that closed off area and they, they do crave that crate time. And so the idea of putting a dog in a crate should be more of a place of here's where you're going to go to relax and be safe, not a place where we're just going to contain you for convenience. Although it does help out in that way, but that's not what we use it for. We use it more of a place for for uh, rest and relaxation. Jackie, we got about two minutes to go. I wanted to ask you, what do you uh, as as when you come to, to daycare? Do you have certain uh, activities for them that, like they, like uh, Ryan and Ashley just described, to give them breaks, or do you have crates and stuff that you provide, or is that a thing that's done in those kind of circumstances? Yes, we provide breaks. Um, they're out for a couple of hours, about three hours, for playtime, and then we bring them all in and put them up for a break. Um, we do the same thing in the afternoon. It's, it's two or three hours of playtime, and then they, they get put up for a break. And then we also watch the dogs, and if one is acting out, we'll bring it in for a break. So, And then they, they go in their kennel and their private space, and they're able to relax and feel safe. So, yeah, that's something we utilize. And... uh Ashley, Ryan, do you guys have a, a similar kind of uh, setup when you have those uh, kind of animals? Yes, 100%. Um, our daycare, we usually do about 20 to 30 minutes of socialization time and then a break of about an hour. And then again, another 20 to 30 minute socialization time. We do very structured um, socialization. So uh, we'll we'll integrate some of our training activities into the social groups um, like staying in a place well so we'll have one dog stay in a place on a bed while the other dogs are running around playing to help that dog practice impulse control um, we also you know have um, our staff keeping and I'm sure Jackie does this as well um, we have our staff keeping dogs from barking and things like that so that they don't take home bad behaviors and, and we help um, reinforce the behaviors that they're learning with us. So I was going to say that, you know, as I was uh, volunteering, one of the things I found in these play groups is dogs don't bark uh, between each other very much and they, they communicate, but it's considering we'd have like a dozen dogs out there running all over the place. It was pretty silent. And, and I, I found that very interesting because I think I thought that among themselves, that's kind of how they would talk. But again, that is me humanizing a dog, which really isn't the way they they um, they interact. When we come right. back, I, I want to uh, get into that a little bit about w what we should recognize in how dogs behave, and then kind of have you guys explain you know, the, the best ways to to figure out how to uh, help people have the best experience they can when socializing their dogs. We're speaking today 
with Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit, founder of Bark and Biscuit. It's a dog training business in Salt Lake, as well as Jackie Hansen, owner of Central Park Pet Retreat. And uh, we're learning how to uh, help provide the best environment for the dogs we may have uh, decided to get while we were in uh, pandemic quarantine. You're listening to Voices of Reason. with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, speaking today with Jackie Hansen. She owns uh, Central Park Pet Retreat in Salt Lake City, as well as we're having t a, a discussion with Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit. They uh, have a business called Bark and Biscuit. They do dog training as well as uh, dog daycare. And uh, Amy, who has become uh, the dog lady, uh, I, should, I should say the dog couple, she and Ed. So, yeah, uh, Ed's worse than me. Yeah, he wants to keep, he them, wants all. To keep them all. I just right. want to foster them and find them homes, but he's... Every foster we have, let's keep this one. And I'm like, babe, no. <laughs> um, but no, the question I have is, um, uh, as you're adopting a new dog and you get the dog home, how much time do you tell people to wait before they can make an assessment? Because I found that some of the dogs I get in foster, um, it takes them a couple of weeks and sometimes a couple of months before they're comfortable enough to be who they're gonna be, to have an identity. And I, I just wonder sort of what you tell people about that process of adoption. Yeah, usually you don't see a dog's full, true personality until they're six months old. Now, these are adult dogs that are coming into new homes, um, different with puppies. Did, did that answer your question? Uh, well, <laughs> well, there's a decompression. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Is six yeah. months yeah. A, an adult dog all of a sudden? Well... Six months is when they go into what we call the teenage months. So six months is when they start developing more of their personality. But I think what she's asking is I, I how... think what I was meaning was, um, so if you bring home an adult dog, it usually takes about six months until you see their true personality. They'll go through a bunch of stages trying to figure out what the new pack structure is, where their place is in the home, um, that kind of thing. So you don't fully know what the dog's going to be like until about six months. Um, now I think I, I missed a so part what of the question. You, yeah. But so what if you see issues in those six months? So yeah. you see, I have a dog. So that's, that's like, the most, um, oh, yeah. sorry. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was that's the say, most... like you, I'm sorry. You talked about kennel training and, and yeah. I had a, I had a dog who came to me as a foster. I ended up keeping him, but, uh, they said he's kennel aggressive. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I took him and, and I just wonder if you see an issue in those six months, like, what do you do about it? Yeah, you definitely want to seek training help because that's when the dog is trying to figure out where its place is and what the rules are, what it what it can get away with, what it what it needs to do. So if it's your own dog, um, I recommend getting training. Uh, there's a lot of information out there online, and that's what a lot of people do, or they watch the dog whisper. A lot of stuff when it comes to behavioral training is very hard to apply yourself without some guidance. Um, and we offer so much support, um, even when they're not just doing our, their training appointments. So to help people guide people through that, because behavioral training, so fixing issues like the aggression, create aggression, that kind of thing, um, that is getting into the psychology of the dog, which is much more intensive than, say, a big, big box pet store um, obedience training where they're teaching the dog to sit and down kind of stuff that and you want to keep in mind too that 
we usually recommend as soon as you see behavioral issues to try to adjust or try to seek out training. A lot of people will go, oh, well, maybe it'll go away on its own. And that behavior often multiplies or can turn into new behaviors that are even more unwanted. So um, that happens a lot with when people adopt dogs or foster dogs that they'll see behavioral issues and they just kind of hope they go away. And it, and sometimes they do, but a lot of times they, they tend to get worse um, without any training involved. Jackie, can I ask you a question? I, I, as they, as uh, Ashley and Ryan kind of talk about this, the one thing I want to know is, so when people, have you ever had a situation where somebody brought in their dog and they were so poorly socialized that you had to say, you know what, we, we can't keep them? Yes, we usually say that when a dog we draw the line of aggressive. If the dog is aggressive to a human in our facility, one of our employees, we tell the owner we can't keep them. As far as, um, and I'll, otherwise we, we put them in private play or put them one-on-one -on -one with, with an employee. But we have had to turn dogs away entirely. Rarely, but, but we have done it. I'm sure that's a sad a reality for the, for the for the owner. Yeah, it is sad because people take pride in their animals. They love their animals. They want to see their animals behave, and we don't like to turn dogs away. But sometimes we it find happens. that the more they come and the more they're socialized, the better they are. So, Amy, what uh, what do you uh, your last, I'm going to give you the last question. Okay, uh, so then I guess I would ask, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the common things and a little bit about crate stuff, but when people are trying to walk with their dog on a leash, I think a lot of people, their first impulse when they have a behavior issue is like, I'm going to get my dog some exercise. I mean, I do that. It helps me, right? <laughs> um, but what advice would you give people if they're trying to take a new dog on a walk and it, they run into a behavior problem like the dog stops and it won't go or the dog pulls their arm out of the socket. What are some of the things you tell people about walking a dog? Well, physical exercise is important. Even more important is the mental exercise, which they can also get when they're out walking. Um, a mistake a lot of people make is when the dog is behaving badly on a walk, they continue to walk. Um, for the dog, one of the biggest rewards you can give them is continuing to walk forward. So if the dog's pulling on the leash, stop wait for the dog to stop pulling, then start walking again once it's stopped pulling. And most likely the dog's immediately going to start pulling again, just stop again. So as you can tell, this gets really tedious. A lot of people don't have the patience for it. And that's where a lot of that problem comes from. Um, with the not walking, that one's a little more tricky with the dog just sitting and not moving on leash because um, it, it could stem from several different issues. If it's a fear issue, just hang out on your front porch and hang out with your dog and help them get used to being out in the outside world. If it's a dog who, well, and that's, that's pretty typical. That's most of the dogs who won't move. It's because they're afraid. So if you just kind of slowly work at more their pace and don't focus so much on having to go run three miles with every dog, um, you're going to help work them through those issues and their fears of being outside. Did you have anything to add on that, Ryan? Um, no, nope, I think she pretty much covered that. It's walking so is, is there, definitely a big thing. So, 
Yeah, is there a downside to like I take traits and whatever behavior I run into, I bribe my way out of it? <laughs> is that a bad thing? <laughs> you it's know, not if they won't, <laughs> or I pretend I'm having so much fun, they must, they right. definitely want to stay with me. <laughs> it's not necessarily a, a bad thing, it's just not addressing the behavior. I would say it's just it's kind of putting it, a band-aid just, on it. Yeah, it's just it's just bribing them because if they continue to do the behavior right after, then they really haven't learned anything. They're just, you know, continuing to to do what they do. And with things like reactivity, if you're bribing them with treats, so for instance, if uh, you're out walking with the dog, the dog starts barking, then you get the dog's attention by giving it a treat. What you're really doing is you're rewarding that barking behavior. So the dog's learning every time it barks you get its attention and get a treat. Um, so that's where, uh, yeah, the, the treats aren't necessarily the best way to approach that. But if you're trying to keep a dog walking by your side with a treat, yeah, that's totally fine. Well, if you have any more, uh, I want to, uh, real quickly, you guys have a website uh, if people have other questions for you? Yes, it's uh, BarkAndBiscuit.com. And uh, Jackie? Um, CentralParkPetRetreat.com. Excellent. Listen, Jackie Hansen, uh, Ashley and Ryan Wolfheit, thank you very much for joining us today. And I, as I'm a fellow dog lover, though I'm one, the one person here who does not actually own a dog because I'm never home long enough to do it, I, uh, I'm, I'm always grateful to have these kinds of discussions because it's, it's fun, first of all, but I learn a lot all the time from people like yourselves. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at Podcast, And check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other places where you might find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.